This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today, we have NBC's War Telescope as it aired on July 3rd, 1943. The series was broadcast from London and usually spent its time offering weekly updates on the war and looking at what could be coming in the weeks and months ahead. It was hosted by war correspondent Morgan Beatty. This episode, though, is a little different as it features special guests Bob Hope and Francis Langford, who at the time were in London entertaining U.S. troops. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And be sure to visit our website at brickpicklemedia.com slash podcast, where you can find links to past episodes and other information. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ww2radio. So thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At this time, the National Broadcasting Company presents Morgan Beatty's War Telescope, a review of the war week and a forecast of possible developments to come. Mr. Beatty, who is NBC's veteran reporter in the British capital, has a special guest today and has adjusted his program accordingly. We take you now to London. This is Morgan Beatty looking at the 200th week of war through the War Telescope. And this is Bob. Where am I? At the military secret hope, taking a peek at New York Harbor from across the Atlantic. Move over, Crosby, so I can see the Empire State Building and that Pepsodent sign. <laughs> Wait a minute, Bob. This is a different kind of program. You're being interviewed. There's no audience in our bombproof studio here, and you promised us not only the Bob Hope everybody knows, but also the Bob Hope nobody knows. Well, don't rush me, Beatty. I just got here this week, and I've already radioed Crosby. You radioed who? Crosby. You know, that fat man that sings in my road pictures, the other traveling salesman. I told him he's got to come over here because the boys really want to see him. Of course, I told him that the English people didn't know him very well, so I'm doing the best I can to help him professionally while I'm here. <laughs> and what a signature you put on Crosby's radiogram. Shame on you. Well, I only signed it Bob Winston Hope. Why not? Churchill's using our country for his other home, isn't he? And I played plenty of good Morgenthau mash notes to let Bing know I had his interest at heart. Hey, and I understand, Bob, that Crosby run, won a race the other day with a horse named Don Bingo. Yeah, that just goes to show you, Morgan, how much horse meat they're eating over there now. <laughs> But seriously, it is different over here, isn't it, Francis Langford? Yes, Bob, very different, and exciting, too. The war is closer to you. Even these studios are ready, so deep under the ground. And the censor's over there with his hand on the button. You know, I thought censors wore horns, but he's very nice. Oh, he's just a British Will Hayes. He's all right. Oh, but this is a new studio, folks. And as nice as the censor is, and as sweet as you are, Francis, 
If you said a word about the weather, he'd cut you off in a flash. No back with the flash stuff here, huh? Nope. Only news and interviews, Bob. And now for that Bob Hope, so few of us know, so help me. Ladies and gentlemen, as we were saying, this is the 200th week of war, the week Winston Churchill hinted the extermination of the Ruhr by air power and promised an offensive elsewhere in Europe before the leaves fall. This was the week American and Allied forces under General MacArthur lost a new offensive in the Pacific. In short, the strategy of Casablanca is on schedule. All this stuff was big news, big headlines around the world. And Uncle Sam's soldiers, the many thousands of them in Great Britain and the British Isles, marked those headlines well. They worked all the harder on runways and at their desks. They built signal towers. They ran railroad trains, along with British Tommies, and flew bombers. They had to make good on those headlines, and they were willing to work any number of hours a day to do it. But in their off hours, there was still bigger news for these boys and their officers. They heard from the USO camp shows and the special service section of the Army that that man was coming with Francis Langford and Tony Romano and Jack Pepper of Audible fame. Bob Hope was coming to entertain the soldiers between working and fighting hours. And when Bob Hope's company actually came this week, they stacked the hangars to the rafters and the pastures to the gates. They whistled and yelled and clapped their hands. As a matter of fact, the Hope Company set a record in troops entertained this week, that is, in the number of men entertained. Now, you'd think Bob and Francis would sit back between shows and feel satisfied about the way they bowled them over. But your war telescope reporter spent a full day with them this week during shows and between shows. Off stage, I saw a different Bob Hope and Francis Langford. I've seen Bob serious, very serious, and Francis uh, pretty close to tears of appreciation. And they worked until they almost dropped. Just following them around practically knocked me out. As a matter of fact, there are three, sometimes four shows a day. And not in the same spot, either. They're with these people from camp to camp, and airfield to airfield. And that makes about 30 shows this week, besides visits to the hospitals. The wounded, you know, want to shake hands with Bob and Francis. And when there's room, they do a show for them. Uh, you see, Morgan, we have to work that way because we haven't got much time here. Yes, I know, Bob work at least 18 hours a day, even more. What do you do with your spare time? Well, at nighttime, we go down to Piccadilly once in a while and take a look at the blackout. You know, that blackout is wonderful. You should see the Scotsman running around developing films. <laughs> <laughs> then, of course, after our tea, we have to sneak a few hours sleep, and sometimes we grab a nap between the camps we're playing. <laughs> yes, I've seen you, Bob, come out of one of those naps and see a fountain pen in front of your face. You grin and start signing autographs if you'd been awake all the time. Oh, well, it's not much work doing these shows, really, because the audiences are so enthusiastic, so appreciative. That generates you. When you look out at an audience and see those British and American kids laughing out there, you get to feel that there's a big job being done, and we're just a part of it. Audiences like that keep our morale up, too, you know. And we got vitamins, too. Excuse <laughs> me, Bob. It's vitamins over here. Vitamins? Yes. And I know you went to your doctor before you left our country. This is no gag either, you folks back home. You went to our doctor, your doctor, and he told you about a wonderful new uh, vitamin or vitamin combination, a sort of <laughs> shotgun pill that gives you everything. Yeah, and I bought a gallon bottle of those pills in New York, took up half the space in my bag, bought them for the whole company. Always thinking of my fellow officers, that's hope. But what happened? <laughs> no kidding. They feed us at those army camps until, well, we're, I'll be able to wear Crosby's clothes when I get home. Listen to this. <laughs> this is just a rough idea of the menus uh, entirely from the snacks that we've had at these camps. Breakfast, ham and eggs, and hot cakes and coffee. Mm. But that's just the beginning. Francis, pick it up, will you? Here's lunch that day. Two pork chops, applesauce, the regular kind. 
beans, peas, and stewed corn. And dinner, stand by for a crusher. Hamburger, salad, cabbage, lemonade, and strawberry shortcake that made our stomachs laugh. <laughs> and do these guys eat over here, these boys in the camps? We sat down the other day at an air corps station for dinner. You know, these aviators actually bring their bomb sites right to the table with them. It's the first time I ever had a piece of white meat bayoneted right out of my hand. <laughs> and we ate with another group of soldiers, and they crammed down so much that when they got through, there was one uniform left over at the table. <laughs> you know, Morgan, I'd heard that the Army was on rations over here. That was before I left. But I got here, and I discovered they were also getting packages of food from home. Boy, if this food situation keeps up, these boys will be sending packages back to their folks. I agree with you on that one, Bob. But, incidentally, are you going to do any special broadcast from the camp over here in England to the folks back home? Well, yes, we're going to do a special show called Yankee Doodle-Doo, and we hope the folks back home will hear it. And do you mean to tell me that's going to be in addition to all this other work you're doing? Yes, but we're getting along, all right. The only casually happened when we were doing a show in a hospital the other day. Somebody asked me to do a dance. A Charlie horse crept up on me, and I slipped and fell and sprained my wrist right in the hospital. Slowed down my autograph quite a bit and sent down my revenue on that sideline. I charge a small sum. <laughs> oh, you do, eh? Well, <laughs> but, Bob, getting back to the offstage hope, the one back of the hangar chinning with the boys and signing autographs and yeah. having his picture taken. Yeah, but we met one guy who wasn't interested in autographs or photographs. Oh, oh you mean that fellow with a message to take back home? Yes, the boy with a big sunburn and the wide grin on his face. He'd been reading the headlines from home, so he said to tell Congress to do something for the Army engineers in England. They're working 12 hours a day over here. Yeah, and just about that time, as I remembered, Sergeant Walter Clark Stone from Lakeland, Florida, came up to the car. Yes, I used to know him in Lakeland, my hometown. And I keep meeting people all the time from Lakeland. And we played baseball in the field with these fellas over here, just like I used to do at home. Yeah, and Langford was really knocking out those grounders. <laughs> Of course, you know me. I'm an old pitcher. Yeah, I know oh, that. Football pitcher. In fact, I still drool a little more. Uh, you know that. For Sacramento, eh? But, <laughs> Bob, how do you folks keep going, really and truly now, night and day, show after show? You'll be at this for weeks here in England. Then you're going, well, somewhere else. How do you stand up under all this fun, as you put it? Well, Morgan, remember those headlines you were talking about? Churchill and the Navy and the Pacific and all this war strategy stuff? Well, I've been learning things in these camps at home, up in Alaska, now in England. I've been meeting the thousands upon thousands of men who make those headlines, who make them come true. They're the men, well, I've seen them, General Lee's engineers here in England, stripped to the waist, laying the sewer pipes that drain the airfields, pouring the concrete that makes the giant runways the fortresses running. Sweating over cooking meals for the men who go out in those bombers and make headlines over that Ruhr Valley. And they'll exterminate it just like Churchill hinted they would. I've gone to the briefing room at the bomber stations and I've seen the combat movies. The tracer bullets pouring through the air and the German fighters going down in flames. It shows how they make good in this business of war. And they are making good for you folks back home. We're just a couple of weeks out of Hollywood and I already share some of their feelings. I've already got the itch to take out my kids' photographs and I've got them with me to take them out. Well, have you? you don't, I have them right here. And show them to somebody, anybody. But these men keep going week after week, month after month, with an ache in their heart for home. That, ache, that ache's there too, even among those who don't write back as often as they should. But Francis, you tell them. About these men, they don't say much about them. When you go into a mess hall and you see a great big map of the United States on the wall, and they ask you to autograph it and write down your hometown in the right place, then you understand. We're just a part of home to these men. Actually, they're too nice to us. They stamp and whistle and yell for your gangs, Bob, and my son. Yes, but we're, they're really whistling and yelling for the touch of home. And we're that touch of home in the moments they're not out there building war. 
That's it, Francis. Building war. Steel, concrete, radio tubes, sewer pipes, engines, bulldozers, all these things, as well as planes and guns, make modern war. And each man on the job spends a lot of time, whether he's a mess sergeant or a general, being a cog in a headline, if you'll forgive my metaphor. And it's not easy for anybody to be just a cog a long way from home. And the thing that really gets you is the way they call you by your first name. You know, back in the States on the radio, we went into people's homes once a week. And I guess they got to know us like somebody in the family. No, it's not Hope or Langford these boys whistle and yell for. We're not kidding ourselves about that. It's a touch of home. Yes, sir, and it's the way with... That's that same way, Morgan, with scores of performers doing the same thing with the USO all over the world. I give them robust humor. They still call it humor, baby. Don't lie. <laughs> Francis sings the songs they remember. Tony, uh, Tony Romano gives them boogie-woogie on his guitar. Jack Pepper does Irish eyes are smiling. Things like that. I, I think you're right, Bob. I know you are, because I talked to some of these boys. One of them told me at one camp that they'd laugh at anything you said over here. Because oh, it is. Oh, yes, it is. I've seen it. Why, as a matter of fact, they'd laugh at it because it is just like it was back in the States. At one station, they actually matched for coins to see which one of the few guys who had to man the, uh, the skeleton stations, which one would have to stay on duty. And they know you're doing it for them because you really want to. Well, I'm sorry everybody back home can't have the experience we're having. You know, folks back home are doing a lot, but they're giving up so little compared to these boys. Why, Morgan, the other day we played an early afternoon show at one of the bomber bases, and, and we started to leave for the next show. On the way out the gate, the officers told me they were glad we could come just when we did because the boys were going out on a mission over enemy territory, and they didn't want to miss the show. Think of it, a whole squadron of these boys of ours, they're playing for keeps. You know, before they leave their base and every mission, they leave two packages in their bunks. One to be sent home and the other for their buddies here in case they don't come back. Yes, Bob, that's true. All these things, I know about them. And on your way back to headquarters that day, after you had played three shows, you know, from going from camp to camp, I remember you also visited four hospital wards. You and Francis, on the way back, noticed that the countryside was just about the same as you'd been passing before at one time that day. So both of you sort of looked at each other, and you said to Francis, where are we? Aren't, didn't we pass here once before? And Francis said, yes. And you said, well, why can't we go back? You know, the boys on the mission, why can't we go back and see about what happened with those boys on that mission? Didn't you do that? Yes, they told us the boys ought to be back soon, so we drove over again to see how they came out. Well, boy, they just rolled in. Their motors were still going. And I'll never forget that scene in the midnight twilight. That's when twilight comes over here now. The boys came rushing over, and one of the boys said, Hi, sweets, and gave us the V sign. Boy, isn't that American for you? Oh, it is that. And they actually thanked us, we who'd been playing mere parlor games all day for a laugh. They thanked us for coming back to find out whether they had lost the marbles playing for keeps. And Francis, they almost smothered her. I had to rescue her. Yes, and I remember those boys said when they came up to the car, Thank you, Francis, for coming out today. You brought us luck. <laughs> you see, Morgan, and you were asking why we're glad to play three or four camps in airfields a day. Say, you know, toward the end of our show, remember when you saw... Where's that, Where is that, Bob? At what part right is that? Right at the end of the show after Oh, yes, I, I remember. After I tell them about the tea and everything, I've drank so much tea every time I pass a lemon, my stomach takes a bow. Well, I tell the boys when I thrill this to entertain them, and I wish them good luck. <laughs> yes, Bob. Well, that's not in the script, Morgan. We consider it a privilege to have a chance to entertain these troops anywhere on the map. We certainly do. Bob? I've spent the day with you on the war job, your 18-hour day. I know what you mean, you and Francis and the rest of your company. I have seen every one of these things come true. And it isn't show business, it isn't anything else, and you almost knocked me down on those days. And I'm here to tell you that I think, and all these boys over here think, all the thousands of them, that you are just as much an ingredient 
of the Allied offensive to come as Churchill's headlines, the one he made this week, and the general's maps and the conferences, and the engineers who draw those fortress runways, and the laborers who swing the pick. Yes, you're the Bob Hope nobody knew until war came. And now this is Morgan Beatty saying so long until next Saturday. You have been listening to War Telescope, a weekly report on the war as seen from London by Morgan Beatty, NBC's veteran observer in the British capital. Mr. Beatty is presented every Saturday at this same time. This program has come to you from London and New York. This is the National Broadcasting Company.